<clears throat> which is the third commandment. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Now, this has a lot to do with how we use our words, how the Christian uses their words. And <clears throat> it has become fashionable in Christian circles even to push the boundaries of acceptable speech. Um, I'm hearing even preachers begin to uh, use in their sermons um, questionable language, uh, words that I wasn't a, uh, allowed to use as a young man, uh, even hearing in pulpits. And that's very troubling because as goes the pulpit, oftentimes so goes the pew. And when preachers use uh, salacious language or questionable words, um, they can perhaps set a precedent for the people that it's okay to talk like that. Um, and we need to be careful, not just in the use, not, not just in avoiding profanity, but even uh, in uh, how we use words that are true. Uh, and I think I'll hash that out a little bit tonight as we prepare this, this understanding of not using God's name in vain. Remember that the scripture warns us that we are to give an account of every word that we speak. And every groan that we groan. <laughs> Matthew 12 and verse 36, Jesus said that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Now, the Savior is not saying when he says that, that the gospel doesn't matter. What he is saying is what he has said in other places in different ways, and that is your words are a symptom of your heart condition. And you can tell a person's heart condition by their, the words that they use. And as we read in Matthew 12 and verse 34, that same passage a few verses earlier, Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Uh, my wife and her recent excursion to Michigan, uh, she went to a, an antique store with her friend, uh, Mrs. Palmani, who, by the way, will be with us in church on Sunday. Um, Mark and Kim are fine. He's just going somewhere for a meeting, and she's going to hang out with us with AJ on Sunday. Um, but they went to, together. They did some shopping in uh, a little town up there, and there was this books, this antique shop. They had antique books. And one of the... Uh, my wife bought me three old books from the... Um, the Robert Rakes Sunday School Library. Uh, and he's credited for inventing the modern Sunday school in the 19th century. Um, and one of the, the volumes is titled The Village Boys. And it's a, a, little, a short little work. It's a fictional story. Uh, but it's a, a story about little boys who got caught using profanity. And the... The, there was a, a godly Christian woman who was enjoying a hike in the woods or a stroll in a wooded path, and she heard these two little boys arguing over who was going to keep the mess of fish that they caught, and they were using profane words and oaths, and she uh, upbraided them because they didn't know she was there, and she rebuked them for their language. And uh, they sort of confessed and they were sorrowful for their sin and they she asked them well why do you speak this way and they said well all the other little boys speak this way 
and one boy uh, offered the name of another boy that was especially bad at using oh, foul oh, language, oh, oh, oh. not knowing that it was the boy's mother oh, no. that he was speaking to. And so she went home with this, this covert intelligence of her son's carryings on, and she confronted him with his, his renown for using foul language. And anyway, so her conversation with her son, and then uh, he was smitten in his heart because of it. And of course, it's a work of fiction, so everything works out well. Right, you know, where you rebuke a young person and they get right with God immediately. That's always wonderful. Uh, it doesn't always work out that way in real life, but nevertheless, the story goes on where he gathers together his his friends and they listen to a Bible study she gives on Christian language, and it just so happened to coincide with the fact that we're coming to this issue of taking the Lord's name in vain. And I'll be honest with you, I was challenged by the story reading this woman's words to her, these children about how we should mind our language and that uh, how, how very, and I don't, I don't use profanity. Um, I even try to avoid vulgarities. Um, but even uh, wondering why do we even have this need to blurt out exclamations that can sometimes lead us into the paths of sin? Why do we even have this this need in us to say these words? Why can't we be satisfied saying something else? And I began to, even myself, feel convicted, if I may, for not having pristine language. And by that, I don't mean pristine grammar. We all know my problem with some forms of grammatical error. But the child of God should be known for having language and words that are edifying and true and honest and good not eloquent, but not uh, not sinful, or even may I say, silly and useless. And we only have so many so many days and years to live amongst God's children and other people, and how necessary it is for us to choose our words wisely. And I began to think about this this spiritual discipline of minding your tongue and how James says in so many words, if you, can, if, you can, if you can bridle your tongue and control it, how very, and I'm using the Joe paraphrase, how very powerful and strong you become in this matter of self-control, to control what your tongue says. And not only by this, this matter of thinking before you speak, but also in this matter of um, deliberately choosing how to converse with others. And I'm not trying to lay a stumbling block before you of being overly cautious to the point that you take a vow of silence, um, but that we should indeed be more careful with how we, how we speak, how we carry on with others. Our words are indicators of our spiritual condition. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. We're called to speak for Christ, and we're called to speak about Christ, and we're called to speak in a way that edifies others. And therefore, if our testimonies will be profitable, then our words must be pure. Amen. James said, the tongue can no man tame. Now, he doesn't say that to make you give up. 
He says that to show you how very difficult this is. This is humanly impossible. By the grace of God, we can do this. And we should not give ourselves license in this area. Um, I know we all have different backgrounds and some of us grew up around uh, a lot of profanity and some of us did not. Uh, but nevertheless, no matter what your environment was, and I grew up around, look, I went to public school. I grew up around a lot of military men. Um, my father did not use profanity in the home, but you know, I was around it a lot and then working secular jobs. I didn't go from the homeschool family to some cloister somewhere. I've, you know, I've been in the world. I, I know what it's like to work amongst the, the unbelievers who have the language to match their faith or lack of it. And especially did I notice this working on a freight dock in Chicago where the, the dock manager that I had was a young man just a few years older than me, but every other word this man said was profane. And I'm not exaggerating. Nearly, he could not, he could not stitch a sentence together without using the threat of profanity. Uh, and it, it, when you hear that all the time, it, it works its way into your head. Now, here's the thing. It's one thing when you can't help but hear it because you work a job where people use it or you live next to people who use it. But it's, it's another thing when the Christian deliberately subjects themselves to this language. And Christians do this all the time by the entertainment they choose and by the music they listen to. And be very careful about the, the music you choose and the entertainment you choose uh, because... It, it, like I said, when I was on those freight docks in Chicago, I did not use this language, but it began to, it began to become a thought reaction of mine. When something would happen that was what I didn't want to happen, my dock supervisor's language would be a word in my head because it was just this incessant input. And God help us if we can't, yeah. you know, uh, remove ourselves from those situations, but God, especially prevent us from putting ourselves in those situations. We bless God. Let us not then use the same tongue that blesses God to spew forth poison, as James warns us. The tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. And here's the irony, James points out, out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. And then he ends it with this very emphatic statement. These things ought not so to be, that if your tongue is used to praise God and to preach Christ, then why would you want to also use it to shovel manure, if I may? You know, we all know about food preparation and its safety. You don't you don't take the same knife that you use to chop raw chicken to slice the apple you're going to eat because you just gave yourself salmonella, possibly. Likewise, why would you take the tongue then and to use it to, at one, on one hand, share these vile jokes and these profane words, and then on the other hand, to, to speak the name of Christ? You're gonna, there's going to be cross-contamination, and you're going to lose your testimony. And what's sad is, and again, I don't say this to sort of pat myself on the back because the Lord knows I've been vile in my days also. But it was sad to me when the, the, most, the, the most vile joke I had ever heard, and I went to public school, 
okay? Uh, but the most vile joke I ever heard was uttered to me by a Bible college staff member in Bible college. I was a student and he was on staff. And the Lord sort of shook me in that moment to remind me how very poisonous it is to preach Christ on a Sunday morning to children and teenagers on your Sunday school bus, and then to tell a very perverse joke on a Sunday afternoon when nobody else is around except, you know, a staff member and a Bible college student who are waiting for a ride. These things ought not so to be. And even in our private conversations with God, the Bible steers us to reverence and a, a deliberate choice of words. And I know that Ecclesiastes is one of those books where uh, it, it seems that sometimes the writer is overstating his argument. And there's a certain Hebrew poetic element to the book. I understand that. However, what he says is still true. The writer says in Hebrews 5 and verse 1, or he, sorry, Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 1, Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. What is the sacrifice of fools? Running out the mouth without any thought about what you're saying. For they consider not that they do evil, the writer says. And he goes on to say in verse two, be not rash with thy mouth and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. If I may apply it this way, when we pray, we need to be putting our heart into our words and not just repeating some sort of empty uh, conglomeration of religious sounding jargon. That's the sacrifice of fools. God is holy, right? And, and so a holy God deserves the, our purest worship that we can offer. And the purity of worship comes with sincerity of heart. Okay? Now, that doesn't mean you can come to God sinlessly and without spot. It does, though, mean that when you come to God in prayer, don't think that you can sort of check out mentally and, and begin to automatically run out the mouth and think that somehow that that is pleasing to God. It's not. And in fact, I think as you'll see as we, we study in the next few weeks that taking God lightly in worship is a form of breaking the third commandment. It is taking his name in vain. It is treating him as if he is not who he says he is, holy and just and worthy of our sincerest worship. And so we need to guard not just our words uh, with others, but even, yes, our prayer with God. And I don't think any of us ever pray in, in I would hope you, none of you pray in a perverse way, God forbid. But when you pray that you would be deliberate and reverent in in your speech with God, not flowery, not eloquent. I'm not, those are very different ideas, you understand. But deliberate and reverent in how you speak to God. As the writer of Ecclesiastes says, uh, God is in heaven and you are on earth. Doesn't mean he can't hear you, it means that he's above you and you are a mere mortal, created in the image of God, yes, but he is high and holy. He deserves a measure of respect. Not just a measure, but a full measure of our respect. And that's why, uh, you know, parents need to teach children in church to be reverential in church. 
to be reverential in prayer, to be reverential with their, with yes, even their Bibles. We need to teach, to give them examples and instruction on not taking God lightly and how we conduct ourselves with God. So our words are important, not only with each other and what we say to each other, but also in how we approach God. And all of this is involved in the third commandment. <clears throat> Stephen Charnock wrote in A Christian's True Spiritual Worship to Jesus Christ, these words, to give God only an external form of worship without its life is a taking of God's name in vain. We mock him when we do not mind what we are speaking to him or what he is speaking to us in worship. So this is, the, sometimes when we think of the third commandment, we think, okay, well, don't take the Lord's name in vain. And uh, we, we have this immediate application of that and it doesn't go beyond. Okay, don't say God's name in vain. That's it. But like with many truths and commandments of God, you need to dig more, apply in a more broad way and see where the study of scripture would take us. And I think you'll see that the name of God is precious and holy. And it's not just about taking his name in vain in this immediate application that we're always focused on, but also in our form of worship, how we pray, how we listen to God's word not being light with God. And, and it's a shame. Is it not a shame? Um, and I hope you, you understand. I'm just not trying to, to curse the darkness here, uh, but, but to point to you where even churches can, go, can run aground in these matters, how very irreverent church worship is becoming. Very irreverent, um, casual. And I'm not saying that you've got to wear a suit and tie every time you come to church. That's not the, the issue here. The issue is, the, this attitude that is being promoted by even ministries and, and preachers themselves, where everything is casual, laid back, and, and even the music, Jesus is treated like some cosmic boyfriend. Yeah. And the words are sappy and sentimental and irreverent, and the preaching is irreverent. And, and this is all a violation of the third commandment. God is holy, and he deserves sincerity and he deserves reverence in how we speak of his name and how we worship his name. Let's talk briefly uh, about the name of God. His name, God's name, is a part of our identity as believers. And so as you, maybe I would hope you take your family name uh, seriously, uh, how much more is God's name to be taken seriously? Um, you know, growing up, my father kind of pressed into me and my brothers how um, we carried his reputation with us. And part of that was because I, it was a military family, and ours was, and um, he didn't use this language, but he kind of let us know and know in certain terms that the sons of Chief Master Sergeant Grover Cassida better not be caught doing X, Y, and Z. Because it would be not only uh, bad for me and my brothers, but it would also it would cause repercussions with him and the men that he is leading and the men to whom he answers also. So we, we were required to take a certain element of pride in the fact that A, we were Cassidas, and B, that 
our father was a man of leadership and responsibility, and, and there is behavior expected of us because of that. How much more than the name of God? His, his name is a part of our identity. Jeremiah 14 and verse 9, Lord, we are called by thy name, the people of God, Christians, little Christs is what that means. And we guard his name and we seek to be a credit to his name. As we read in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 8, God says uh, in, a, in a, a good way to a church, thou hast kept my word and hast den not denied my name. You've kept my word and you've not denied my name. And that denying of the name of God is not just in denying his gospel in an apostate way, but a denial of it in sort of a social context or in how that we live. We live a life that is a denial of the truths we profess. We use God's name in sacred duties like prayer. Praying for the Christian is called calling upon the name of the Lord. You call upon his name. We use his name in praise. When we praise God, we praise his great name, as we see over and over again in the Psalms. And God's name is something that we hold in reverence and, and in fear. That thou mayest fear this glorious and fearful name, the Lord thy God. In Deuteronomy 28, it's written, God's name is for us a source of comfort and strength. The name of the Lord is a strong tower of the righteous runneth into it and is safe. God's name is even the theme of our life. God's name is the path that we trod for our day-to-day -day living. We will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever, Micah 4, 5. And all of these things and many more things we could say about the Christian's relationship to the name of God, it is special to us, it is sacred to us, it should be infinitely more special and sacred to us than our own family names, than a name that we cherish, such, such as, well, today's Valentine's Day. And so, uh, you know, if you have a sweetheart, uh, that the name of your sweetheart is special to you. And you would hate to, to, for somebody to use it as a curse word. How, how very uh, inflammatory would that be to hear somebody use your loved one's name as if it was a profane word. And then Christians do the same thing with the Lord. And he is to be special and holy to us. How can we use his name in vain? How could we treat him lightly? God himself holds his name to be sacred. We read in Isaiah 48 and other places that God requires that his name should not be polluted. His name is sacred, his name is holy, and his name is his own, and we should treat it with reverence. If you have ever gotten into the bad habit of using God's name in vain, you should ask God to help you quit, to break that terrible, terrible habit. I would, maybe I'm, some would say I'm being too strict and maybe I'm being a prude, but I don't even think Christians ought to text OMG. Yeah. Because everyone knows what that means. There's other ways to respond. You don't have to do that. You say, well, it means, oh my goodness. No, it doesn't. Maybe to you, but to 99% of the world, it doesn't. And let's not be naive about that. Don't use it. Don't say it. And understand when it comes to the third commandment, it doesn't stop there either. But let's at least begin there. 
resolve that we will not use Christ's name as an exclamation and God's name as uh, an exclamation or a profane word. It is a terrible thing for Christians to use their words for anything sinful. It is especially blasphemous for the one who confesses Christ to use the name of God in a light way, a joke, an exclamation, a profane oath, or insincerely, or even deceitfully. God's names, God's titles, God's word, and God's being are all involved in the third commandment. And these things are too holy and too precious to be misused. And may the Lord help us in this. Amen. Let's pray.